I'm a natural opportunist. I feel uh, if I see an opportunity, I take it. And also, what do they say? Good luck is hard work combined with opportunity. I still don't really want to settle yet. I'm still so hungry for like bigger and better things. It changed my life. Like I, I remember before that being kind of uncomfortable with my own body, like being uncomfortable being naked by myself kind of thing. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast sponsored by Clearcom. Clearcom is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. From the Broadway stage to the West End to Cirque du Soleil, Clearcom brings seamless communication solutions to your stage. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. And my name is Anna Robb. And today we're talking with Emma Bianco. Emma has worked as a freelancer for over 12 years in production, operations, and everything in between. With a passion for major events, comedy, music, circus, and anything else that requires a stage, Emma has worked on a myriad of events such as Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Maroon 5 at the Pyramids, and Dubai Expo 2020. Not to mention producing and hosting the touring Naked Cabaret. Originally from Australia, Emma has worked across five continents, rarely staying in the same place for longer than three months. Emma is currently working on the opening and closing ceremonies for the FIFA World Cup. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Emma, you and I have two things in common. So we both <laughs> went to Charles Sturt University in Australia and we both worked on the Sydney Mardi Gras. Can you believe that? And I think we have another connection, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> Mate, dude, I, I was actually wondering if, the, if like my studies would come up because... What, okay, so maybe, okay, you go first. What did you do at Charles Sturt? I did a course called Design for Theatre and Television in Wagga, oh, but I right. guess you went to Bathurst. Correct. I, I, did, the, I did the infamous theatre media course. Right. So what was that like from you and what, what, like, what, did, it, what did you take from the course? You know, because it's very interesting, just so you know, Kat, for most theatre or people that work in our industry go to like the Whoppers or the Nighters or the very QUTs of the world and not many people go to Charles Sturt University. So um, it's really kind of exciting when you hear somebody <laughs> in the industry who Small actually world. went to the same university that you did. It is, yeah. So tell us about your experience there, Emma. So basically growing up in school, like I, I was the drama kid, right? Like I'm in the debate team. I'm like doing theatre sports. I'm like the, I, I'm like mega nerd in when it comes to like the performing and uh, doing this kind of stuff. And then, uh, but my dad being the old fashioned baby boomer that he is was, was saying I couldn't do these extracurricular things unless I was getting good marks in English, math and science. And then when it came to go to university, I was like, I want to go to NIDA. Like that was, that was my dream. I remember like trying to get up payment plans with my parents so we could pay for it, that kind of thing. But again, them being kind of like worried about my future, even though so many talented people come out of there. I found, my mum found this course. Basically, even though it's a theatre media course, it fell under the umbrella of communications. And even though, so one reason why it's not, it's got quite a few campuses, but it's three hours west of Sydney. Um, over the over the Blue Mountains, 
And having said that, there was the best journalism school in the country, like everyone from Channel 7, everyone from like Channel 9, which is two of our five uh, channels that we had at the time, all did uh, communications at Charles Sturt. So it was actually a really kind of, um, I, I had to do, I had to get a really high UAI, like a finishing mark. I had to do an audition. I had to do an interview to get into this um, course to kind of follow my passion of work, of performing arts, but kind of uh, disguised as his communication degree. And I went there with the intention of wanting to, wanting to be an actress and do performing. <laughs> Why I say it's infamous is because this the school that was currently run at the time by a guy called Jerry Boland, it was created by a guy named Bill Blakey, it was kind of an excuse. It was the closest thing you could do to Lecoq or Commedia dell'arte. I, I swear it was, <laughs> it was this weird mix of, that I promise you, I did, a, I did an assessment that was an acro combat routine. I'm at university literally learning <laughs> acro combat skills and being marked for it. Another assessment was we had to, we, we split up into groups of five and we had to develop a rhyme scheme mumming show where that followed a melodramatic kind of plot template and take it around to the local pubs and perform it for actual money. Those, this, the other thing that Bathurst is famous for is, is the car race. It's, it has the biggest car race, the Bathurst 1000 V8 car race. So you can imagine us like drama nerd students going around to these pubs at night performing for money. <laughs> it was super rough. There were some pubs. There were some pubs that were banned because some people got spat on. Like it was such a weird thing. So I went originally wanting to be a performer, but because it is actually quite a broad, it's quite a broad um, course. I ended up actually falling more into technical productions and specifically lighting design. Whereas someone else in my course, they they kind of focused on script writing. It was such a unique course. It doesn't exist anymore, but at the time won a bunch of awards um, for how progressive it was. And Jerry, Jerry Boland has quite the reputation for uh, being a drama teacher. He's got all these papers, but like I said, went to Lecoq and did Commedia dell'arte, like was, was a clown at heart. So it was a really interesting course. I have some... Like I had some reservations about it at the time because you're not creating specialists, you were creating generalists. And I guess I have carried that through for my adult career that I am, and I would say I'm a proud generalist. Like I, I pride myself of being able to go into you know, most, the most random environments, most random jobs or projects and I can adapt to that and then I hope see that through to a very high standard. And I think that's something that that course was very good at. At the same time, I was doing journalism subjects and video productions. Like it was such a, <laughs> such a strange thing to be deemed as a university course. Yeah. That's really interesting. Is it, did you, when did you sort of decide that you weren't going to do, was it in that course that you decided that you weren't going to be an actress and that you were going to pursue more technical production? I think it was probably about second year when I was kind of like, and then 
and that was like the first time uh, while I did a lot of after school shows and I did drama after school I did speech and drama you know you get grades on speech and drama uh it was the first time I was properly immersed I think in a creative community and I kind of realized like actually I'm really good at this production back of house organizing stuff and that's where I got my the my most validation I guess I that's where I thrived and I and I that has definitely been apparent of my brain does not work like a creative <laughs> working alongside creatives I'm like okay okay stay on track here's the agenda stay on agenda whereas like I think those creatives those very the the high achiever creatives they they have such a flair for it and um my brain is definitely a little bit more uh, left. Well, that's really interesting. I'm going to let Kat talk about Dubai, but a lot of people that ask me about Australia and transitioning from working in Australia to internationally, how did that happen? So I'm really interested to ask you, how did it happen from you? How did you break away from the Australian market and get into the international market? What was your launching point for that? Yeah, uh, so I had finished uni and I moved back to Sydney for less than three months it's my magic number and uh, I was working on pretty much anything you could get your hands on right like when you're that age and you're you're like I want to be a a part of everything I want to do everything so I was doing Sydney Festival I was a theatre technician at Carriage Works Um, I was oh yep I'll be crew here I'll be an usher there and it was Adelaide Fringe Festival. So, and I, so I, I already started moving within Australia. I was already trying to see where else I could go within, within my own country. And I was doing Adelaide Festival and someone, and I'd been working there for two weeks. And someone goes, hey, I like the way you work. I've got a venue in London that um, I'm running next month. You should come. And I go, yep, I'll, I'll do it. And then within a month, I, again, my privilege of being Australian, so I have mobility and a privilege at the time being young, uh, they had a, which they still do, they have a scheme where they increase mobility of young people between the UK and Australia. I was able to use that visa. And I went and I moved to London and I was in London for a couple of months working on the Spiegel tent in the South Bank for Underbelly. And then Underbelly said, hey, we like the way you work you want to come to Edinburgh? And I was like, yes, obviously that's my dream. So, um, and then I went to Edinburgh and then after that, I came back to Australia, did some more Australian circuit. London invited me back the year after. And then I got again, asked to move to, to do some freelance work in the Seychelles. So again, yes, there is definitely some like right place at the right time. But also, I think just being a, I'm a natural opportunist. I feel uh, if I see an opportunity, I'll take it. And also, what do they say? Good luck is hard work combined with opportunity, you know, but what they actually say. Something <laughs> so, like that. So, yeah, common, yeah, a combination of uh, opportunities and hard work. And also, and again, really not being fussy in those first few years. I'm just really, really hungry <laughs> for new experiences. 
In terms of international experience, a role doesn't get much more international than yours at the World Expo in Dubai, which was running the National <laughs> Day ceremonies. So luckily for me, this is actually how Emma and I first met. Um, we sat right next to each other in the events and entertainment office, so I got a front row seat to the force of nature that is Emma Bianco. Emma, what did you learn about cross-cultural communication, uh, working with teams from a different country every single day of the week? Do you have any advice for adjusting? Wow. So I worked, as you said, uh, on the national days, and that included 192 countries, about 200 organizations if you include the EU, League of Arab States, United Nations. And I think at the end of the day, what, what I learned was all of these countries, they, you, you kind of have to trust them a little bit that they know what they want. So I'm there to facilitate and to integrate them. And even though their communication the, the the amount was varied with every with every country that I spoke to, but at the end of the day, they would come and they were just so hungry to play. And sometimes I had no idea what was going on on that stage. And do you know what? I'm and I'm there to I'm there to make them look as good as possible. And I have to trust them that they also want that same thing. So I think that's. I think that's my biggest piece of advice is to trust those performers that they know what they, that they also feel just as passionate about it and talk slowly. <laughs> Being Australian <laughs> doesn't always work. <laughs> Both good pieces of advice. It's so true. <laughs> I, I have the same problem, Emma. I always used to get yelled at because the Australian <laughs> accent when we speak fast is not very understandable <laughs> to the <laughs> greater greater population of the world <laughs> but I think like that that piece uh, of advice is like you have to trust them is because they don't necessarily have the same priorities as I do like my priority my I want to know your entire rider I want your show files now I want them in this format they don't have those priorities necessarily so so again that's kind of what I'm saying is like trust them though again obviously it needs to be in the right <laughs> format otherwise it's not going to play but again they they also want this to work if, if that can be the frustration of them their process doesn't align with your process that's all yes in addition to kind of a, a range of countries uh, that you've worked with you've also worked on a really wide array of projects um what kind of strategy adjustments do you need to make when you go from, say, producing a naked cabaret uh, to organizing events with dignitaries and heads of state? How different are they at the end of the day? Wow, it's it's like so different. I remember, I remember in uni learning. I remember the phrase very clearly. It's always different, but it's always the same. I have learned the hard way <laughs> that. My, my approach now of going into new projects, especially into new countries, is that you have to assume you know nothing. Assume that you're, I, I have to trust my ability to learn and I have to trust my ability to be patient and to communicate, but I have to also walk into that ready to, ready to relearn everything I know about being a production manager or being an operations manager. 
because everyone works so differently. A production manager in one country is like a project manager in another. Like it is, it's just this, it does vary quite a bit. Yeah, I guess that you'd say that like um, because there's no standardisation in the industry and, and people are building up arts industries across the world, that, that those terminologies and those job roles are different. And I think, you know, the fact that you say that your course was quite generalist, you know, do you feel like that plays into your ability to be adaptable to these kind of projects? Because I feel the same way about the course that I did, although, you know, it was a different course, but of the similar stream Charleston University, it was a generalist training. So you have respect for all the realms of theatrical production, even though you're going to look to master in one. Do you feel like that that was a, a foundation for you being able to be adaptable in these kind of constructs? 100%. And that's what they were telling us at the time as well, is that, yeah, they they really tried hard not to pigeonhole you too much. And it can be really easy to get pigeonholed, I find, in this industry. And even when you're trying to sidestep, it does mean that you're starting from the beginning. But again, I, and because I, I worked, I tried so hard. It, it was, it was my ambition to try everything in the industry, to in, in everywhere. So, you know, ticketing creative, I've done the hosting, I've done the onstage. And now writing my resume, I don't know what to put up the top. Like, I, I just want to, I just want to say, I'll, I'll, I'll be anything you want. What, what do you want? I, I want to be it, which I am now also, I'm still at the stage where I'm like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Like I'm still asking myself that question uh, because I do want to be highly skilled in one thing, I think. I think I, I, think I want that. But I still feel like there's just so much to do and experience and see and to be a part of. I am lucky that uh, I am now able to take, for the, for the past like five or seven years or so, I have been able to be considered a senior, which helps with money, it helps with flexibility, it helps with mobility. But I think I'm ready to take myself to the next step of, okay, if I really want to be a true leader in this industry, I need to maybe start refining my focus a little bit. I think that's quite natural though over the first I'm a big fan of trying everything the first 10 to 15 years anyway, you know, to find out what your real niche is, where where your heart really lies within the industry. And then once you've done that all round sort of trip around the world, literally and figuratively, (laughs) (laughs) that that you then you then you just start to fine tune. I mean, I don't think that I really broke my stride until my late 30s in terms of what I really felt that I was good at. And, And it was 10, 15 years of experimenting and deciding okay now this now this now this and I think it's good advice like you said to keep trying everything and getting out and about and 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 finding what your actual niche is and what you enjoy the most because you know once you have all those experiences you've got more in your toolkit to to know what that is you know rather than just staying in one lane of production 100% and which is why this podcast I think is such a valuable tool for people, especially for people who are kind of at their at this stage of their journey, because these first-hand accounts are like so priceless. And we didn't, I, I don't know anything like this, like this, like twelve years ago when I was studying. Like if I had access to these kind of accounts, you know, maybe I, I might be in a different place. I have absolutely no regrets about what I've done, but um, 
uh, like I said, maybe you could have given me, maybe I could have actually focused something a little bit more while I was studying. But yeah, like it is hearing, because obviously uh, this is a, I love this podcast. You guys are great. Little little shout out to you guys. <laughs> but so, so yeah, thank you so much for, for creating this. No, it's super good. We love we love doing it, and I'm so glad that uh, Kat joined us as a, as another podcast co-host and brought you in. So, now you're currently at the FIFA World Cup, and what's your role there, and um, and what's happening over there? Tell us. So, I am a senior operations manager for the opening and closing ceremonies. To be honest, I was a bit of a last minute hire, um, which which was which was great for me. It worked out perfectly in terms of timing. Um, so we are working across three stadiums. Oh, we're also doing the third place. So closing. So we've we've just finished opening, like maybe a week, a week, two weeks ago, and uh, it was exhausting as any kind of major event goes uh, when it opens, like like overnights and you know, oh this thing hasn't arrived. Oh no, delivery it needs to be rescheduled. So that is that's now in the past. We're now. Um, focusing on clo- on closing, there is um, definitely some creative elements that are yet to be decided. But uh, we're in full swing of that. Um, it's going to be it's going to be pretty amazing. That'll be on the 18th of December. Um, not sure when this is going to be aired or how <laughs> it's going to be uh, once it gets published. So yeah, working working in a small team of senior managers, uh, working underneath the incredible Donna McMahon who has been a wonderful mentor, who is definitely a pillar of strength and patience. I feel like I feel like all the best women mentors in my life have been exactly that, like the, the pillar of strength and patience. I've, I remember being an underbelly uh, and looking up to Sarah Fleming, who was uh, the operations manager at the time, and just kind of wanting to do everything she did. I remember like, never heard her raise her voice, Always saw her be calm in uh, in in like crisis mode. Like she was, she was never in crisis mode, even if there was a crisis going on. And that's something that I and I feel like Donna is a, is a similar similar vein. And that's something that I like when I when I get into those stressful moments. I'm like, remember Sarah, remember Donna. <laughs> <laughs> and now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communication since 1968 for theatre and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. You can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M dot com. Go check them out. Emma, could you talk to us about your last six months or so? Because you have packed in... The wildest variety of projects I think I've ever seen anybody pack into that amount of time. <laughs> um, could you tell us about, uh, we've talked a little bit about Expo Dubai already, um, but after that you went to the Maroon 5 concert in the Pyramids, and then to Edinburgh Fringe, which I believe involved Naked Cabaret, but perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on that. And <laughs> now you're at the World Cup. Could you talk to us, what is six months in the life of Emma Bianco like? You forgot Venice. I did forget <laughs> so, Venice. Please walk us through. 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, man. So um, I have done a little bit of work in Egypt, which I love. Um, Egypt can be a can be a trying place to work because, again, their process processes aren't necessarily the same as what we're used to. But I was able to work on so so expos expos pretty much finished. I've kind of started doing some work on House of Oz, which is a, which was a venue in the Edinburgh Fringe that was meant to be a a hub for Australian programming and Australian art and Australian culture and Australian food, uh, for which I was the head of productions and production and operations. Coming out of Expos, kind of starting on that, I fly to Cairo for the weekend. I do some consulting, some operations consulting for a company there called Nacelle, who are kind of like the biggest, they're like they're, they're pretty much the biggest events and kind of party uh, company there. They do the biggest techno festival in the region. They do another um, music festival called Shorelines, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean up in Alexandria. So I come in, and obviously Egypt is a place where this stuff just does not happen, right? And working in that part of, working in that part of the world was incredibly eye-opening for me. And so I came in and tried to help put in some processes for them. I came in to help them with the... Maroon 5 concert, which is super interesting because Egyptians, they don't care about the pyramids. It was really, it was really a, an experience for Maroon 5. You know, apparently, like, I had some Americans be like, I can't believe you're working on that gig. And I was like, oh, yeah, where, where are the Egyptians? are like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's like Edinburgh Castle. It's just in the background there, you know. <laughs> so... So again, like for me, I'm obviously super excited to be there, but uh, <laughs> all the other Egyptians are like, oh, not enough. So they've only really starting started to do this stuff at the pyramids quite recently. The first one was Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then they did Black Eyed Peas, and now they've done their own five. Originally, they asked me to go over to Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I wasn't able to go. So I was stoked that I was able to go back. I um, went to help on the operations team. I ended up working more as a site manager and a production manager, which, again, is super interesting when you cannot communicate to the crew. <laughs> so there I am kind of like, yalla, yalla, <laughs> to a lot of the crew trying to get Mojo Barrier in, liaising with the production manager from Maroon 5, who um, uh, was coming in and asking things to be moved around, so, so acting as a conduit. Uh, between those two, uh, those two stakeholders was super interesting, and again, it's just it was fine. Like it was seemed so chaotic building up to it, and then it was absolutely fine and incredible and wonderful. And then shortly after that, I made my way to Italy, working remote on the Edinburgh Fringe, and also uh, got asked to work on a wedding in Venice that had. <laughs> that had an insane budget. Like I'm saying, they they hired out in this massive hotel and flew out 180 guests on private jets, kind of kind of kind of thing. Weddings. I've only ever I've event managed one other wedding before, which was in a Spiegel tent. Uh, my 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 one true love is Spiegel tents, and that was a comedy wedding. So they obviously brought me in because I know the comedy industry quite well and I um, know how to run a speed event. And then I get to work on this wedding, which again is, it just has four days of events. 
a private gig by a, a headline talent on the last night, uh, you know, four different locations of events throughout so throughout the weekend, which was incredible. And then after that, I um, then make my way to Edinburgh, start setting up the Fringe. This was an entirely unique venue. I basically got, I met someone while I was at Expo working on the UK uh, National Day. And they said, hey, I like the way you work. <laughs> Do you want to, <laughs> we have, um, I have some people who are setting up an Australian venue for the Edinburgh Fringe. So, so basically, <laughs> I made such a big deal about leaving Fringe. I worked for Underbelly, as I mentioned before, from 2012 until right up until I started working for Expo 2019. And I promise you, I made the biggest deal. Going away parties like five times a week for the last week. I'm in tears. I'm making speeches. People, <laughs> people are getting me gifts. And then uh, that was 2019, 2020, no fringe. And then I was like, good, I don't want you having any fringes until I get back. And then 2021, they they had a bit of a they had a, they had a smaller fringe which wasn't quite uh, it wasn't it definitely wasn't in its former glory. And then uh, 2022, they were like fringe is back. And then so is Emma. And so I end up uh, they end up bringing me on as the head of production operations because again I'm uh, quite you know I'm quite versed in the Australian accent obviously what Edinburgh fringe is. So this completely unique venue in its first year of operation it was only supposed to be a 300 seater venue I was like yep I can do this in my sleep this will be a nice this will be a nice thing after expo but instead it was one of the highest (laughs) most highest maintenance (laughs) jobs I've ever done we're doing eight shows a day we've got I've got three to four stage turnarounds and like stage configurations in a day I've got the, the program isn't static throughout the four weeks, usually in a fringe venue. If you want to put this kind of, this, this output of shows, if you want to put on eight shows a day, which is an enormous output, you usually have to make all the shows the same so you're not re-teching. But it, it was not like that. I only had about three resident shows and everything else changed. We had Mitch Tambo fly in for, like, for two nights. Mitch Tambo, who is... Uh, one of our national treasures from from Australia. We had Birdie come in. We had John Bell, who is Australia's answer to Ian McClellan, come in to do three shows um, in in the middle of the run. Like it was just always chopping and changing, and it was it turned out to be like oh, I, I can't even. It was something like thirty or forty individual shows. It was it was a massive massive job, and then. Literally off the back of that, I have now come to Doha to do FIFA. So, yeah, other than other than Expo, I haven't stayed in the same place in the same city for more than three months. I had I had Adelaide Fringe and Edinburgh Fringe as kind of my anchors, and then I would try and chop and change throughout. Again, just looking for a new country, looking for a new gig, looking for a, the next best, biggest festival to work on. So again, and that's. That's my passion. I mean, one of my, one of the biggest, one of the most frequently asked questions I get is, I'm just, I'm doing your job now. I'm just going to ask myself questions. <laughs> is, um, uh, is like, when are you going to settle? Like, when you, do you feel like you need to settle? Are you tired? And at the moment, I, 
I was thinking that that's kind of why I, I reached out to Expo and I and I applied for Expo was I was like, okay, I'm I'm doing all these small gigs. I, I really need to start upskilling. I really need to start kind of proving my work. And, but my answer is still is still no. I still don't really want to settle yet. I'm still so hungry for like bigger and better things. Uh, you do you, I say. I don't think you need to settle because other people are asking you to. <laughs> yeah, I just find it. When are you going to settle? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It, I don't think. I don't think that's a thing you need to settle for. I think you, you know you got to follow your passions and your heart because that's what's going to keep you happy. But I do want to know what naked cabaret is, so you need to tell us about <laughs> this. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I love naked cabaret. So I'll. I'll 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 tell you how I discovered Naked Cabaret. So one day uh, it's at we're at Adelaide Fringe, and my friend says to me, "Hey, there's a show on at two p.m. called Naked Cabaret, and it's free for artists and staff passes. Do you want to go?" And I go, "Sure, why not?" And we're walking there. We're walking down the street. And my friend goes to me. She goes, oh, "I wish I wore better underwear." And I say, "Why?" She goes, "Well, because people are probably going to see them." And I say, "Why?" And she goes, because I'm about to take them off. And I was like, why? What what, what are we doing? And she's, she's like, do you know where we're going? And I was like, clearly not. <laughs> Basically, so the, the premise of Naked Cabaret is that everyone, it, it's just a regular cabaret show except everyone is naked. <laughs> the bartender is naked. The tech is naked. The acts are naked. The audience is naked. So <laughs> I, get a, I get a lot of questions about the logistics of that. Um, which is yeah, where do you put your belt pack? <laughs> right? Hey, if you if you're on radio, you can you can a belt and a radio. I do. You get creative, guys. Come on. So so basically, you we usually have a bar inside. It's two p.m. It's all about it's all about being silly and it's all about kind of desexualizing that really. And all the proceeds go to ch- um, charity. And so all the audience sit down, the hosts get up on stage and they go, they do, a, they do a little bit of an intro. Part of their intro is hands up if you don't know what you're coming to. And every now and then you get a few hands up and you're like, okay, well, you're about to find out. And then they play the final countdown and everybody stands up and takes off their clothes and they put their clothes on the seat and then they sit on their clothes. That's a question that I also get asked quite a lot. And then the show, the cabaret is literally just your regular variety bill, like your variety variety show, mixed bill variety show. We will have we have had burlesque artists do the striptease, but miming it. We've had <laughs> uh, uh, one of our um, one of our most notorious, most spoken about acts that we've had is a contortionist. That's I'm um, I'm I'm a big fan of the contortion acts. So uh, basically, again, being in the being in the circuit, I am talking to Alexis Dubas, who plays a very popular character called Marcel Lacan. If you've heard of him, um, I was talking to him in Edinburgh one uh, like a couple of years after that, and I and at that point it was just in Ed- it was just in Adelaide, and I say you have to bring Naked Cabaret to Edinburgh. It literally it changed it changed my life. Like I, I remember before that being kind of uncomfortable with my own body, like being uncomfortable being naked by myself kind of thing. And I remember just 10 minutes into that show being like, oh, my God, it doesn't matter. Everyone has a body and they're all stupid. This is fine. <laughs> like, 
this is and it, because there was just such a variety of people there. There was old and young and big and small, like being like, this is this is amazing. And I felt really inspired by it. And I and I approached him and I was like, you, please bring it to Edinburgh. I'm, I run all the venues here. I'll give you the venue. I'll get you the tech. I'll get you the bar. You, I just need you to do it. And he said, well, I need a female co-host. Why don't you host with me? I'll only do it if you host with me. And I go, me? <gasps> and obviously any chance to get a microphone, I'm really fine with. So um, ended up hosting it with him. And then uh, we've now taken it to a couple of other cities other than that. And it's just always such a it's always it's always a success always come out of it feeling elated and inspired and changed so yeah I think I've been doing that ever since like 2014 now and again every have have hosted it in at Edinburgh and in Brighton um every year since since up until the pandemic sometimes we'll get if I'm not in if I'm not in a particular city we'll have some comedians or performers reach out and ask if they can put it on on our behalf and we're like of course and we try and set up um, set them up with promotional materials obviously we have a bit of a following we put it out put it out on our socials so yeah if anyone does see it I so highly recommend going and I and it, it, I promise you you'll, you'll just feel like a different it's something that you are afraid of and be like oh I couldn't do that you're the person who should go, <laughs> you know, like put yourself out of your comfort zone, but also no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> this year we did it um, at Free Fringe, so uh, which so usually we'll have it ticketed, but this year we're like, okay, it might be easier to do Free Fringe. And the culture behind Free Fringe is that sometimes people will just walk in at the beginning, not really know what they're going to. So <laughs> this year was the first time I had four people, two different couples, walk out during the final countdown. <laughs> I, I asked the question of, hey, does anyone not know what they're going to? Anyone not been here before? I had four people put up their hands and I said, okay, well, you're about to find out. And, and they walked out. And fair enough, fair enough, no pressure. Emma, do you have a favorite part of the world to work in and why? Oh, wow. I just love going to new places you know I, I can't I Edinburgh is definitely my spiritual home during the fringe I ended up doing Hogmanay there which was you know the largest street party in Europe for many years you know that was even working even working during Christmas was incredible there I love Edinburgh it's hard to it's hard to walk past I mean I loved Egypt as well there is a, 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 another funny anecdote is that my, my interview, I've definitely told you this one, Kat, my interview for Dubai, the chief originally did not like my, did not like my uh, resume because I was too much of a heavy freelancer. I'd, I'd done too many things. And he had thought that I didn't have enough discipline to do the job. And he, he told me this kind of after I got the job and it took me a couple of weeks to build up the courage to ask him, hey, so why did you hire me if you didn't actually like my resume? And he said he'd seen that I'd worked in Egypt. I, I'd done a three month, I'd worked on the music festival there. And he asked me about it. He goes, so, so, oh, I was in Egypt at the time actually. And he goes, How, how's working in Egypt? And I said, I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. The guys here are great. Uh, they have some really great ideas. They want to learn, you know. 
And he goes, oh. And in his head he said, if she can work with Egyptians, she can work with anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like, again, if you come in with that attitude of I'm here to learn, I'm here to, I, I want to be a part of this, which, again, I'm still so hungry for that, then it is, yeah, I, I love working everywhere. I love it. Now, you probably answered this question, but we're going to ask you again because we always ask this at the end of our podcast. What do you like most about your job or the industry? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is so sincerely the unique experiences. It is, I feel like our industry more so than any other that I can think of, we are constantly reinventing ourselves. We are constantly trying to find the next thing that will create a unique experience and that thus then creates incredible experiences for us who work on it. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, I just find it so inspiring and I feel so elated, you know, after a, I I do, I do really wonder if I'm a bit (laughs) addicted to it, like addicted to those super high highs Um, because it, it really does come in like hard and fast and obviously, the, then there's those lows. I'm, don't <laughs> don't get me wrong. There are those super low lows as well. But again, that um, their highs are just so high. And if you could change any one thing about your job or the industry, what would it be? Uh, money. I would like more money, please. <laughs> I would like. <laughs> I'd like. I'd Maybe like across to see, the board, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I also, like our industry, we don't, you know, we are not, we are not like the the 1% in, you know, there is not a lot of wealthy people in our industry. There are some rich people, but we don't hold that wealth, I guess. So that that is hard that I feel like there is going to become a time when I have to plateau, be like, well, this is the most I'm ever going to earn. Um, but other than that, which I think is a probably an obvious answer, I would like to see a better platform for navigating getting more jobs in the industry. I feel like LinkedIn doesn't fully get us. I, I feel like, do you, do you find that? I, I don't think they quite understand what the events and, like, especially the freelance events and live entertainment kind of industry is. I, I feel like I, I find it quite hard to navigate and I feel like they get it. I'm getting offered jobs. I was like, I would never do this, you know? Yeah, I think not just LinkedIn. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. The whole world doesn't really <laughs> understand what we do, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, there's, a, there's a number of companies that have tried that, but I think that there's one thing that's really prevalent in our industry that can't be ignored, and that is um, the fact that people like to hire people they know or have worked mm-hmm. with before by referral as opposed to a blind hire. And that's a really hard thing to get over when you're trying to create a platform for hiring people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, I have been involved in studies on that. So if you want to have a conversation, I'll find that. But it's, uh, uh, it's just not necessarily a platform that works for our industry when you want to do it. But, uh, but there is still, and that's not to de- uh, deny the need for it, and it's not to say that it can't be cracked but it's just not as easy as developing an art LinkedIn for the arts kind of thing, right? It's, it's, it's reliant on 
you know, I get probably approached every twice a week, three times a week for recommendations for a job, right? I was like, and sometimes I'm like, I wish I could make money off this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm recommending a lot of people right now. But um, but I do it because I want to. I, they're my friends or they're people that I care about who I want to give them good people. And yeah, I mean, it's such a complex topic when you start to open that door. Um, and so if you come up with any ideas, uh, Emma, call me up. We'll try and figure it out <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to subscribe to Anna Rob. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yep, you can call me up anytime if you need work. We'll see where we can redirect it. <laughs> or, or Emma's hey, new platform, ilikethewayyouwork.com. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. this is it. This is it. I like the way you work. That seems to be, it seems to be the way you've got the we job. We may have so started something. Just now, ladies, I think this is going somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Let that percolate for a while. I love it. I love it. Oh, I feel like Expo was the first time I'd interviewed. (laughs) I feel like I think you're so up until then, it was just me getting referred or being like, hey, you've got a job. They're like, yeah, come through. So, yeah, it's just so true. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting world we live in, that's for sure. Um, may I say one more thing? One more thing before I go. Yes, go for it. Is that yeah. Anna, we've met before. And we have when? Yeah. And I just realized and it was um one night in Dubai and uh we were I met you at some kind of social event and I remember you being really inspiring and I remember talking to you you were we got on to talking about the industry which you clearly do so well and uh because um with I was out with Alicia and yes Alicia Stanley yeah and I remember talking I remember that night twist (laughs) blood twist yeah and you actually (laughs) and you were and you were like yes I love like lifting people up and something and you actually gave me a piece of advice that night and it was, and I've actually always remembered it, and I've actually been thinking about it recently because, as I mentioned, I'm kind of trying to refine my the next part of my journey. And you actually said to me, uh, get more involved in the creative. Do you remember that? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. You might not. I don't, but... No, but I love that. I love that you. I said something that you remember that I'm very honoured. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you, you were talking about how you wish you were getting more involved in the creative um, from an from an earlier point uh, of a of a project planning point of view. Yes, I do remember somewhat of a conversation like that. That's amazing. <laughs> Sounds that like you remember. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, I can imagine that you and I would be kindred spirits in the corner of a bar somewhere, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm a kindred spirit with any bar. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, thank you. It's been such a good, well, now that we're all having a reunion, I think that's amazing. So, yeah, mate, get me a job. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. 
Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.